made me, made me part of you. <laughs> so now, now, Jaws, you found someone new. Why? Jaws. Jaws, why? Wasn't I enough for you? Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. The Contrarians is brought to you by Smarks Like Us Clothing and Avnio Films. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter at JamesAlexMattis and at Avnio, that's O-V-N-I-O. Yes, this is the main theme from Star Wars Episode 3. Why, you might ask? It's simple. It's the best film in the franchise. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex. I'm joined always by my co-host Julio. Julio, how are you doing today? I, I am a little disgusted by what we've seen. Um, yeah, it was pretty repellent. Well, today we're here to cover the George Lucas classic Jaws from 1975. A different time back then, as this movie's rated PG, and as we'll discuss over the next however long it takes to get to the end of Jaws. Much like the movie, it might take forever. And even then, it'll be shorter than the time it took them to catch the shark. It's got some content that wouldn't fly by today's PG ratings. And that's pretty apparent right off the bat as we start in uh, New England's Amity Island. We are on the beach and we see a big congregate of hippies just smoking and drinking and having a good time. When one of the females runs off and just begins disrobing and stripping down as a drunk man is just chasing after her. She runs into the water and he goes in after her but ends up just tripping and passing out on the beach there. The girl's not so lucky. She doesn't uh, trip. She goes into the water, and then we get the first shark attack of the movie. Well, really, there aren't that many. You you know, I know that the marketing makes you think that this is just an all-out carnage, but really, like, you can count the number of people that die by the shark, I think, in one hand. And it's really weird the way she dies. It's something that's always bothered me about these shark movies. They focus a lot on the way that, you know, the shark will just, like, pull you left and right, and you'll just, like, you know, there will be a lot of movement... But they don't seem to like acknowledge like the initial pain of getting your leg caught in the shark's mouth. You know that girl's like screaming a lot, but it doesn't it doesn't come across as like screams of pain. It comes across as just like surprise and shock at being like being shaken underwater. But there's not like that primal holy shit, my leg like it's about to come off because somebody's biting on it. She's thrashing back and forth, similar to a preteen at a Maroon Five concert. Yeah, it did really. I, I didn't buy it that something huge was really chewing on her leg, and, and that was. It. But you know who bought that? It completely is on board with this movie, Gene Siskel, who on June 20th, 1975, I guess that's when the movie came out, mm-hmm. he, he wrote for Chicago Tribune, everybody knows who Gene Siskel was, so it's Roger Ebert's partner, just this little quote from his review, which goes, what this movie's about, and where it succeeds best, is the primordial level of fear, 
And, I mean, we sat through that for two hours, and really the fear was just that it was never going to end. But, but he, he really, I guess he really... Either that or that, that Chief Brody would die of cirrhosis of the liver. Yeah, that was, but I would have enjoyed seeing that. You know, that, was a, that would have been a cool twist. So this dude just passes out on the beach, and... He completely misses that yeah. first kill. <laughs> Bitch gets eaten. And so we go to the morning after, where the aforementioned police chief Brody, played by Roy Scheider... I guess that was the highlight of his career. Mm-hmm. I guess he, he, like, peaked with Shark Attack's Jaws and Jaws 2, and then he was too big for the third one. He just moved right along. He's a, he's a grizzled vet at this point, but, you know, a sharp-looking guy, but he's called on the phone, notified of what's happened on his beach's shore, and he gets there, and they've discovered this mutilated, just destroyed body. No, he, he acts very shocked by this, but he's supposed to be from New York. So I'm a little surprised that he was that, like... Freaked out by, you know, a woman that was eaten by a shark. He's, he has to have seen worse things, unless he moved because he couldn't handle, you know, he moved out of New York, he couldn't handle, like, the, the level of violence. This is, you know, 70s New York, so he, he has to have seen, like, some really hardcore shit. He wants to shut down the beach right away, and the mayor just puts the kibosh on it right off the bat. The mayor understands this is the 4th of July, and they subsist off tourist money, and everyone's coming in for 4th of July to spend it on the beach. To the point where they even, you know, government conspiracy pay off the coroner to say that it was a boating accident. Basically, you know, we're just getting into the movie. It's like ten minutes into the movie, but you know from the beginning that these people deserve to be eaten by a shark. They're just, they're horrible people. I think that you could argue that in a way it's just... It's just meant to happen. Like, it's this cosmic weapon of, of mass destruction that is supposed to happen to these people because they're so bad. They're so terrible. They're much like the antagonist, or protagonist, rather, in Perks Being a Wallflower. They only accept the love they think they deserve. Yes. And in this case, that love is getting eaten and devoured by a giant shark. So we go to the next day on the beach, and Chief Brody is just voyeuristically watching all of the patrons of the town swimming He's just suffering from intense paranoia. He just thinks that he's seen a shark everywhere he turns. Yeah, but it's such an ugly movie. I mean, I, I don't want to, like, badmouth Spielberg in his 70s era, but really, you know, it's just unpleasant that this might go, like, it, it actually builds up to my bigger point, which is human beings, they're meant to be inland. They're not supposed to be, like, near the water. You're supposed to stay dressed. There's so many man boobs and just saggy bodies in these scenes that... I just, again, I couldn't wait for the shark to just take care of all that and just, just clean up the beach. And with his but, paranoid daydreams and visions, it just is like a cheap Vietnam movie, and he's just for it. Yeah, but what is he freaking out about? I mean, you know, it's not like he was attacked by a shark. You know, all he saw was just some, like, you know, dead bodies, but that's it. It's at this point where we get our first hint of Chief Brody not being one to go into the water, which will come up again and again and again and again and again and again and again. But is it ever explained to Leo? Uh, nope. They have plenty of opportunities. There's plenty of moments where they just pass the ball to Chief Brody so he can finally open up and tell us what's going on in his head. But no, there's... Most of the time he's too busy just downing his most recent beverage. Yes, yeah. He's just uh, in the beach surrounded by shark food, basically. Like, all these all these humans, all these people. Uh, they have no idea that there was a shark attack earlier because of the mayor. And then, of course, as it was meant to happen, tragedy strikes. First of all, one of the patrons' local dogs just disappears and implied that he's eaten. Even more horrifying, a boy out on the beach. This is the most realistic shark attack of the movie. His jaws comes up and just devours this small child in two bites. And the ocean runs red with this child's blood. Horrifying imagery for a PG-rated movie. By now, I mean, of course, we've seen boobs already. Mm -hmm. We've seen... uh... Oh, I guess it hasn't happened yet that the wife is, like, insinuating to uh, uh, Chief Brody that she would, like, 
some afternoon delight. Some attention. They, yeah, but they'll happen later. So yeah, it's a PG movie that really doesn't care much for uh, our current PG standards. There's uh, this funny thing that as soon as the, the you know they notice that there's blood in the water, everybody starts running into the water. Which, again, proves my point that these people were just... It, it, it's just, you know, natural selection. They, they, they Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, yeah. They deserve to be eaten by a shark. So after the local boy is killed in the most horrific of fashions by this now very feared shark, a bounty is posted for the shark dead at $3,000, which by $1975 is a pretty decent chunk of change. Now, I think that the bounty was being paid by the mother of the child, isn't it? Like, I guess at the time when somebody is like, hey, is that going to be check or cash? That that person, by the way, complete asshole. <laughs> but when they bring it up at the at the town hall meeting, the mayor goes like, well, that's between, you know, whoever catches a shark and, and you know, the mother. So I think she was, it wasn't even like money from, from the government. It was just, it was like a private bounty. You wouldn't have to pay taxes on it. It was just going to be under the table. Three 3000 even. You know, you don't have to report it as income. Right. So yeah, as you had mentioned, there's a town hall meeting to just discuss what the hell they're going to do, and Chief Brody shuts down the beach, and despite the fact that the small boy was just horrifically eaten by a shark, the townspeople are livid that the beach is closed. Horrible people. These are like like worse than pony like population people. It's like a precursor to the Jersey Shore. All they care about is themselves. Exactly. And they just want right. to get to oh, we want a tan. Uh, it was it was stupid. But of course they throw a big fit. So the mayor says, "Well, we're only shutting it down for twenty four hours," mm-hmm. and then and then we are introduced to I guess the guy that's supposed to be a badass in the movie. I I don't know. I, I wasn't convinced. Uh, he gets their attention by uh, scratching his nails on, on the blackboard. So the Obi-Wan character, so to speak, of the film, Robert Shaw, who plays Quint, just a crazy old man, just kind of cackling in the corner of himself, says he'll do it, but for no less than ten grand. And everyone just kind of ignores it and doesn't really, just goes back to what they're doing. They just think he's the local drunk crazy well, man. Yeah, I would have ignored him too, because really, uh, and it's not just in this scene, but throughout the movie, he just seems like he belongs in a different film. You know, he's mm-hmm. like different, he's like out of a pirate movie. He, he The way he talks and, and the jokes he makes, he is he, he's almost anachronistic compared to Chief Brody and, and you know all the other characters we're going to meet later. He'd be much more suited for a perfect storm or an Armageddon or a, right. yeah, a yeah, vehicle yeah. of that nature. Yeah, the, here. It's just, he seems like he came out of a different time. So we do go back to Chief Brody's house, and it's at this point where we get the first hint of uh, Mrs. Brody's just promiscuous nature, as it's just in the dead in the afternoon, the kids are still awake, and she's just aching for a little action and asked uh, Brody for it. He, again, this is uh, one of our second glimpses into his intense alcoholism in the film, because he's, you know, the sun's still up, and he looks like he's been on his sixth cocktail of the evening. But she knows him. You can tell they've been married for a while, because she is like, do you want to get drunk and fool around? He's like, she didn't ask him if, she, if he wanted to fool around. She asked him if he wanted to get drunk and fool around. So she, they're in that stage of their marriage, where right. it takes that to get to that point. She knows her husband. It's at that point that Chief Brody realizes his son Michael is out on the water in his new boat. He immediately goes out there and just shouts at him to get the hell inside. The wife thinks, oh, he's on the shore, nothing can happen. But I think Brody's paranoia at this point is really starting to be not ill-founded. Yeah, but it's, it's hard to take him seriously because everybody knows he drinks. So, you know, he could just be having an episode. We get a shot of some local slack-jawed yokels trying to catch Jaws. They have a giant roast that they just put on a hook and throw it into the water... And with some of the other tactics we th- see throughout the movie, this wasn't the dumbest of strategies. Uh, apparently not, because it worked. It didn't take that much time, too. I mean, it just... it just The thing is, like, they did not think all the way through. You know, they they figured out how to catch or how to attract the shark, but they didn't figure out what to do once the shark showed up. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't end well for them. They survive, but they it, it's pathetic, well, basically. While all this is going on, we just get these interwoven cuts of... Chief Brody thumbing through some gruesome autopsy photos of shark bite victims, and 
even by today's standards, that shit's horrifying. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that Spielberg was trying to make up for the fact that, that really we haven't seen the shark yet. And it's, it's actually really disappointing, you know, that the poster shows a shark. You expect to see a shark uh, whenever there's shark attacks. We've had two people killed by the shark so far, and you've barely seen the shark. I feel cheated. You see the shark cam. You know, back when we did Alien 3, I praised the the use of the alien cam, the POV cam that, you know, shows you what the aliens are. But that's because you see plenty of alien in Alien 3. Mm-hmm. Here, you see a lot of, like, what the shark's supposed to be looking at, but you don't see the shark. So it's it's kind of a letdown. I felt cheated. And I'm sorry, Chief Brody, but, you know, just you thumbing through a book of, like, scary pictures does not make up for the fact that we haven't seen a shark yet. And when we do see the shark cam, it's not very damning of Jaws. It just seems like these people are fucking up his home and he just wants to get rid of them. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that this is... It just shows the bias of the movie. You know, I could make a movie about you, Alex, and call it, you know, Jaws of Alex, and make you come across as, like, a total creep if I never show you or really get in your head and I just, like, you know, focus the attention on people that are scared of you for no reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, he killed, like, he ate the people, but, you know, that's what sharks do. They eat people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... It's your fault for, like, you know, invading his territory. And really, you don't really know what was going through that shark's head when he ate. Like, maybe he felt threatened and he was lashing out. I mean, you know, that, that naked girl from the beginning, you know, maybe she just shouldn't have gone in there. Maybe that, that... I really feel it would have been a lot more interesting if we didn't know it was a shark. A la the Smack My Bitch Up music video by Prodigy. We didn't really know who was doing this until the end. I thought that could have been You know, that would have been a nice, a nice, uh, twist. That, that would have been very, uh, uh, M. Night Shyamalan of Spielberg. <laughs> you've done it just imagine watching this movie but if you were a shark wouldn't you feel like you're being misrepresented so it's the next day and all the townspeople are just off to the the coast they're gonna take off because they're gonna catch that damn shark and they're gonna get their three grand none of them are prepared at all they're all running out there with fishing lines that couldn't even catch a bass yeah and i think this is this proves that really the shark was not out for blood you know because really if he really was trying to fuck things up he would have Killed so many people, you know, on that initial wave of shark hunters. They have no preparation. They, they, they have no idea what they're doing. And yet, they all make, make it back alive. It's at this point, though, we're introduced to our uh, comic relief of the film, our David Arquette or our uh, Josh Gad character, played by Richard Dreyfus. Matt Hooper comes in, and uh, right off the bat, he's just a smarmy prick, but he knows what's up. I would pay so much money to see a remake of Jaws with Josh Gad in, the <laughs> in that role. Oh, with the beard and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could totally see it. It could be a musical, too. He's right there, and they get together with Brody, and they're just discussing what needs to be done. It's apparent Brody sent out the distress call or the the request to get this guy here. Dreyfus's character is someone who studied sharks at school, and he's just a college boy, though. It's pretty sad that they actually need to fly in an expert, you know, to really determine that it was a shark attack. Because by now, I mean, nobody in the audience is an expert, and we all know that it was a shark. I mean, all you had to do was just look at the remains, but they had to bring, like, you know, Richard Dreyfus and probably pay him a lot of money. It, it's a waste of time. And so he demands to see the body of the first victim, and he can tell right away it's a, a shark attack, not a boating accident, and just shames the coroner. He's like, how dare you? But that coroner, you know, he got a new tennis court in his backyard because of this. So he doesn't really seem to care that much. He doesn't. He got his money and he's happy I with mean, it. he's staying out of the water, so yeah. he doesn't care. Yeah, you don't see him or the mayor going for a dip at any point in the film. So a shark is caught by the, the local drunks who hit the water. It's pretty apparent that when they hang it up, even before we're told, you can just tell as an audience viewer, that's not Jaws. That is not the shark. It looks, for one, it looks fake. It almost looks like they went and they bought a, like, a fake shark somewhere else and then they're trying to pass it off as uh, as the shark that they caught. But but even more so, it's just, 
the movie never doubles back to like really explore this, but it was an innocent shark, as far as we can tell. And actually, we know for a fact because later, you know, they they perform an autopsy on it. That shark hadn't killed anyone. And yet, it just got murdered by this mob, you know? There's... Basically, what happens is... And this is what this movie's promoting. It, it's just, like, all-out hatred for sharks everywhere. So, it, it's like a witch hunt, you know? Once they, like, find that a, a woman that was chewed up by a shark, then it's, like, open season on all sharks. And uh, that is extremely unfair if you happen to be a shark. I mean, imagine this movie and just, you know, switch it around to where, like, it's just a bunch of sharks hunting a human. Mm-hmm. And then you can probably see what my point is. Dreyfus, Matt, looks at that shark and says, I don't think that's the shark, and we won't really know until we cut him open. To this point where Alex, the little boy who was devoured earlier in the film, his mom shows up and just shames Chief Brody. She slaps him, first of all, and says, you know a shark attack happened, and you didn't close the beach. Why didn't you just sell out the mayor at that point? Yep, I, I'm starting to doubt, at this point when I start to doubt that Chief Brody was actually from New York. I, I don't know if it's that my view of New York has been warped by all the badass movies about New York that I've seen and, you know, by how I've intera- my interactions whenever I go to the New York airport, how they go. But New York people don't take that shit lightly. I mean, you know, if you slap a New Yorker, you probably get slapped back. Or at the very least, you know, he would have, like, sold out the mayor and said, hey, I tried. Imagine if they cast Joe Montaigne or even uh, Joe Pesci <laughs> or uh, Anthony LaPaglia in that role. Just imagine the fallout of that. But I, I took note, the mom was a bit old to be the mother of that young child. Yeah, she looked more like his grandma. Yeah. Either way, Chief Brody shouldn't have taken it, but instead he just... He, just... He, he went back to the bottle, the only thing he knows. Yeah, I think he was looking for an excuse. Yeah, so we go back to the home, and it looks like dinner's either wrapping up or just beginning. Chief Brody's just downing yet another drink, and his wife looks pretty distressed. and She looks like she's looking for some attention, and she's about to get some because Matt shows up. With a couple bottles of wine. Chief Brody's drink's already gone. He's ready for another. Yeah, he's, you can say, I mean, say what you will about about Hooper, you know, and, you know, maybe he's just a little too, uh, he might be comic relief, but he knows what's up. He's a smart guy. He's, he's well-read, and obviously he's figured out Chief Brody, and that's why he shows up with not just one, but two bottles of wine to their home. And, uh, I mean, he's coming in to deliver the news that, uh, you know, yeah, there's still another shark out there. Mm-hmm. Don't don't start celebrating thinking that you've caught the right one. Not before he puts the moves on Chief Brody's wife, though. Uh, yeah, I could, I could sense the sexual tension there. I don't know if it's a... Uh, we never see, you know, what happens later on after that. You know, it, it's possible that Chief Brody could have passed out after drinking two bottles of wine and then Hooper, you know, finally consoled the wife. So he tells him that's not the shark, we gotta go figure this shit out. So they go and find the shark, which is just held up in a bunker, like a warehouse somewhere. This shark caught by the local that's rednecks. smell. I yeah. mean, they're acting like it only smells after they cut it open, but it, that probably stunk way before then. Yeah. It's an amphibious creature that's been dead for well over 12 hours. So they cut it open and find nothing inside but fish, a tin can, and a license plate from Louisiana. A lot of, like, milky liquid comes out of it, so maybe it was a milk drinker. Hooper says they have to go out in the water and find this other one. they got to figure out what's going on. And Brody, once again, his fear of the water comes into play, as he says he's not drunk enough for that. But Hooper talks him into it, and then we just go to a cut, and they're out in the middle of the water, and at this point, Chief Brody's just hammered. But we also get a view into just the intelligence of Matt Hooper, as he's got all his... Uh, doodads and nerd equipment set up. Yeah, I mean, not that it's going to help him much against a shark. I mean, really, once they finally reach their goal, which is, you know, they run into this this boat that's been manhandled by a shark, and then Matt Hooper goes down there and starts doing some exploring. 
And then once he finally finds the dead body, mm-hmm. he freaks out and loses his shit and actually drops like the giant shark tooth that would have come really handy later on in the movie. But no, you know, for all his smarts, he really he's not street smart or water smart as you as you would. Uh, he just loses his cool proverbially and figuratively and yeah. literally drops the ball. Yeah, he drops the ball and drops the tooth. And it just goes back to the boat. The next morning, they're confronting the mayor about this and telling them their discovery. And the mayor just doesn't believe it. And he says it's the 4th of July. we got to make our money somehow. Like he asks, he, I mean, he asks the key question, where is the tooth? And, you know, we know that he dropped the tooth. So, I mean, can't... The mayor is terrible. He's a terrible person, but he asks... He's the, right the real thing. villain of the film, not Jaws. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, if, if the mayor had been doing his job, then none of this, like, bloodshed, this horrible massacre would have happened, so... Those deaths are on his head. Yeah, and yet the movie lets him off the hook pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's the 4th of July, and we're just strolling around the beach, and the mayor notices that no one's in the water, so he just goes and picks on an unassuming family and just asks them why they're not in the water and just sends them out there, and they all he Actually, he picks on one guy. He picks on the dad, and he tells him, hey, you should go to the water, and then the dad is not brave enough to go on his own, so instead he grabs his wife's hand, and then they grab the kids. I was like, if you're going to sacrifice yourself just to please the mayor, you should just do it on your own. You shouldn't. You don't need to drag the entire family. And then all of a sudden, just everyone sees that it's okay to get in the water, so everyone's in the water. Lemmings. They all serve to die. A shark fin starts approaching, and the worst in humanity comes out. There's grown men that are throwing children aside to get their rafts and get to the shore. Women and children are just being left at the wayside as men try to get back. Families abandoning their children. It's just a very ugly scene. Yes, and the entire time you're thinking, I hope that shark gets at least a few of them. Turns out it's just a couple of local pranksters. It's just a couple of kids that made a big fin out of cardboard. It's a very meta moment because by now we're halfway through the movie. And again, we've seen maybe like five seconds of shark. And then you think that this is it. And instead of Spielberg just giving you the middle finger and just going like, ha ha, no, it's just two kids. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really, that sums up the movie. You know, you came in to see a shark and... Not only you're not seeing a shark, but you're seeing just two kids pretending to be a shark. On the other side of the beach there, though, there's a pond where we're told the old women swim, but Chief Brody had his son go out there instead of in the ocean itself, and he's out there with his friends on their boat, but that's where the real shark is. I'm surprised that people fell for it, though. I thought it would have been a boy who cried wolf moment, and they wouldn't believe the actual No, they're, they're just about. like, I think they're just so bored. There really there doesn't seem to be much going on in that town, so mm-hmm. like, oh, another shark attack, let's try it. So the shark kills what looks to be a jogger, just based on like the outfit he's wearing. Just chews him to bits. Knocks over the boat with Michael and his child friends in there. Doesn't bite him or kill him, but it sends Michael into shock. You know, that's a bit of a waste of setup. Because if you've already established that that's where like, the old women go to swim, then why wouldn't they have the shark kill like a, an old woman? You know, that's really, you're, you're setting that up, and instead you kill just some random guy dressed as a jogger. It's a setup with no real punchline. That's the entire movie. <laughs> So we go to the hospital where Michael's being checked out. Turns out he wasn't bitten. He just had a mild case of shock and he'll be good to go home. At this point, Chief Brody's just had enough and just confronts the mayor. And the mayor is, you know, beside himself at this point. And he's not worried about the people who have been killed. He's worrying about how he's going to save himself and his reputation. Yeah, this is the last we see of the mayor. And like I said, the movie lets him off the hook really easily. Although, basically, Brody gets him to sign, you know, a permission slip for him to hire whoever he needs to hire. You know, it'll be Quint to just get rid of the shark. And the mayor is just kind of like, oh, well, you know, it sucks. You know, my kids were in that beach too. Uh, Well, I'm not going to pay up, uh, you know, I'm not going to atone for anything else. And then he just leaves the movie. Poetic justice would have been him getting eaten at some point. Exactly. That's, you know, 
what what's wrong with you, Spielberg? I understand that he just started, you know, making movies at that time, but as an audience member, I didn't feel like the movie fulfilled, you know, its promise. I don't really care about the shark getting killed. I care about, you know, the actual thinking person being punished for what they did. And nope, you just don't see the mayor again. So Quint is hired, hired to kill the shark, to slay the beast, and the voyage is going to be he, Chief Brody, and Matt Hooper, and Hooper and Quint are immediately at odds. They have about the same amount of knowledge, but, you know, he's the grizzled vet where he's the ivory college boy. Again, you come into this movie expecting, you know, a clash between shark and man, and instead, now, once they get into that boat and it's just the three of them, it becomes this really weird, boring, slow social clash between, you know, the working class and the and the highly educated. And I'm just like, give me the shark. You know, I don't really need to see Quint and Hooper be at each other's throats because I don't really care. But, but that's what we are fed for a good 20 to 30 minutes of the movie. So the crew is assembled and they hit the open water to begin our second and eventually third act of the film. Not much really happens. It's just a quiet day on the water and then they feel a tug at the line. We think we're going to see Jaws. We don't. No, I and by now it's just it's it's on us, you know, you know. First time, full uh, shame on you, you know. Second time, shame on me. Yet by the time that you know we're like on the water with these three men and the shark, it's been like thirty times that we've been fooled into thinking that we're gonna see a shark. It doesn't happen. So Chief Brody is stuck on chumming duty. He just is, you know, leaving the trail of chum behind, potentially luring Jaws. And then we get, I think, our biggest shot of Jaws so far in the film is he just jumps up. And just scares the living daylights out of Chief Brody. I think jumping is being generous. He kind of like surfaces and like shakes his head before going down. It looks so fake and it looks so, it's so unimpressive. Did you really make me wait 70 minutes for this? It's it's very discouraging. Chief Brody backs into the, uh, the cabin there and he looks at Quint and says, we're going to need a bigger boat. Don't worry, that's not the last time he says that in this film. Yeah, if Facebook had existed back then, you know that that's the line that everybody would be quoting on their Facebook statuses. Mm-hmm. But alas, it didn't, and now it's just you know one of those magic quotes that people uh, bring up whenever they want to be funny. So they just saw Jaws, and they're kind of just all standing around with dicks in hand, and they're losing ground here. Jaws is just kind of swimming around, and they're trying to figure out what they're doing here. Richard Dreyfus, uh, Hooper, just, you know, he wants to get a picture of it for, you know his own personal reasons and scientific reasons. And this is probably the funniest part in the movie, one of the few times where I smiled during it, when he's trying to get Chief Brody out on the on the deck so he can get him closer to the shark because he needs to scale. But he won't scale. tell him. He, he's just, hey, no, just move further. further. He doesn't tell him this just so he can take a picture. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it, especially because I was sure that this meant that, you know, one of them was going to get killed. But nope, that didn't happen. Quinn comes out with a spear gun. It looks like business is about to pick up. He shoots him with a spear gun which has a barrel on it, and that barrel also has a tracker that Hooper had placed on it in, you know, in an attempt to track him down. It's at this point where I notice the very odd score of the film. I think everyone remembers the dun-dun-dun, but no one else remembers the, the impish and whimsical score during the entire shark chase that just doesn't match up if at all. If you close your eyes and you just, you know, just let the music take you somewhere, it's going to take you to, like, an Indiana Jones movie, or like you mentioned, we're watching The Goonies, you know, it just feels like it's just Chief Brody and his two buddies having a grand old time, like another adventure in the day, uh, in the life of them. But no, there's really, like, horrific things happening. There's a lot of blood in the water and, you know, the boat is shaking. These three men's lives are in peril, 
Yeah. At the same time, the the movie the movie falls into this pattern by then. I, I, it just basically can be summed up as they're chilling, then they spot the shark, they shoot at the shark, they attach a barrel to it, the shark escapes. So then they talk a little bit, they antagonize each other, then the shark shows up again, they shoot at it, they attach a barrel to it, the shark escapes. Impression whimsical music. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it, this this goes on. There's the big set piece where, like, they get wasted. They basically, it's almost like they forgot that they were in a life or death mission and they're just, like, pictured they're at a cruise or something and they just get plastered and start, like, talking about comparing wounds. And It's the bonding moment between Hooper and Quint talking about, you know, where they've been and the battle scars they have. And it's really where Quint accepts Hooper because he's not the, you know... The whitewashed, spoiled kid that he thought he was. No, he has scars, and you know he's drinking with him, mm-hmm. and and this is where you think the movie's been leading you the entire time. You know they're drunk, they're vulnerable, they're opening up. This is where Chief Brody would tell us why he doesn't like water. You know what's been keeping him from you know just going into the ocean. But no, <laughs> he just he just listens to the stories and then you know moves on, changes the subject. <laughs> Shit gets real, though, when Quint talks about his time on the USS Indianapolis, a World War II submarine that was shot down by the Japanese, and it's where he learned to fend himself off against sharks. Not the only horrifying and harrowing piece of the film, but it's pretty intense. Well, there's two things I want to say about it. One of them, uh, it just occurred to me. I think that maybe that's what happened. That's why we don't hear about Chief Brody's fear of water. Because after that story... I think that anything that Chief Brody would have said would have just paled in comparison. You know, can you imagine, like, you know, uh, Quint tells this harrowing tale of uh, World War II horrors, and then Chief Brody goes like, oh, yeah, well, by the way, once I I went to the water and I got, like, you know, there was a stingray and, you know, something like that. One of my flippies burst. Yeah, I just don't don't like it. It, So, yeah, there's, I think that explains really why Brody doesn't, doesn't give us his backstory. But more importantly, and this is what I was thinking when I was watching the movie, is like, again, there's this just like anti-shark propaganda. You know, again, you never, like the movie never really gives the shark like a a chance to like really tells us his horror stories about like being hunted by men. You know, so of course you get Quinn telling you like about how evil sharks are and how terrifying, you know, it is that, you know, how many people they ate and all that stuff. But really, when you look at it, these three drunk people are like chasing the shark into his, you know, his territory. They're like a lynch mob. It's distressing because the movie pushing that in that mindset of like, oh, we're doing like what's right. But really, these are bullies that are chasing an innocent creature. And then they have the nerve to get upset when it fights back. Mm-hmm. So, fuck them. All three of them. They should have all died. And they let their guard down temporarily and Jaws is back and he starts just wrecking ship on the boat. And he starts tearing that shit apart. And this was my favorite part in it, where Quint just drunkenly grabs a rifle and starts firing wildly into the air, into the water, trying to kill Jaws. But the boat's fucked at this point. They just let their guard down. They were too busy just talking about, you know, what they were going to do and how they wanted to do it. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I think that at this point, even if it wasn't clearer earlier, it's definitely clearer now. $10,000, that was a hell of a scam. He's not worth $10,000. <laughs> he sold his case, though, and he made it. But Well, yeah. <laughs> But like true bullies, you know, they, they're not as bad as their talk is, and Jaws just fucks their shit up right here. And the next day, they're just trying to fix the boat. But it's clear that they're the ones being hunted now. Yeah, he finally, well, you know, there's a moment, a key moment where uh, uh, Hooper, or maybe it's Brody, they're like, 
why are we letting the shark lead us further into the water instead of taking it to the coast? This is because shark's smart, and for one, this is habitat. You know, they're the ones that are chasing, they've decided to chase. It's like going, like, invading a foreign country, and then going, like, why are they letting us invade the country instead of <laughs> going backwards? It, it doesn't make any sense. Brody grabs the, the uh, PA, and he's trying to call a distress call. Quint says, fuck that. I'm, I'm here. I was hired to kill this shark. This is his moment of, like, his hero moment, because he realizes that he's just in it to win it, just shatters the radio, and just ruins any chances of distress call to be set out. I mean, I guess you could see it as his hero moment. I don't think Chief Brody or Hooper were that impressed by that, uh, by no, that move. But that's the thing. They shouldn't have come along. Quinn should have just been sent out on his own. Yeah, he wanted to go on his own. So it's time to open fire. Brody has his little magnum. There's the rifle gun being shot at him. There's the spear gun being shot. You just can't stop Jaws. You can't. Uh, yeah, Jaws but, uh, puts up like a huge fight. You know, really, for them to complain that the shark's going after them, I mean, they have him hooked. That's the thing. Like, maybe if they hadn't attached all those barrels, he would have, like, just gone on its own way, but why complain when you're the one that's, like, dragging him into this fight? And now, at this point, they've insulted him, so he, he needs vengeance. Well, yeah, point. I mean, at this point, I mean, sharks are just like people, you know? You can you keep letting that bully pick on you, then you know, it's, it's gonna continue, but mm-hmm. if you stand up to it, and you actually, you know, eat one or two of them, then maybe they'll leave you alone. <laughs> So the grand plan is for Hooper to go under. He fills a spear with, I guess it's sedatives or quaaludes. I'm not really sure what he pumps full of it, but he's going to go under, and he the idea is that he shoots it into the mouth of Jaws. He's lowered down in a cage, and before you know it, again, he drops the goods and drops the ball and retreats and fucking hides for the rest of the movie. Yes, that is. All of Quinn's fears about this guy were realized he's just a huge pussy. He confirms everything bad that Quinn had been saying about him earlier. He knows that his two buddies are in the boat still, they're still under attack, but he just he just runs away or swims away. And he just hunkers down in some coral, and we don't see him until the end of the movie, spoiler, but he's going to be just fine. He shows up with a big fucking smile. <laughs> We go back to the boats, and they're trying to get the cage back up that they had lowered down Hooper in, and they finally do, and it's just been destroyed. I think that it's it's kind of... It was telling that there's really no distress on their part, <laughs> you know? I, which is, like, I, I guess I can kind of understand on Quinn's side, but Chief Brody, I mean, he, I thought that he had bonded with Hooper. Yeah. And yet, he's not particularly shocked or sad or, you know, even horrified by, you know, what happened. They're just kind of like, eh, well... There goes the cage, now there's two of us. Maybe next time. Jaws hops aboard the ship, and this is our first definitive big shot of Jaws in the film. I think this is where all the budget went. All four million dollars of it. Yes, it was like Spielberg said, well, let's save it for the very end, and it's basically, there was never any doubt. I mean, if you actually put, like, Robert Shaw, Quint, versus the shark, you know, just one-on-one, face-to-face, well, you know who's going to win, and that's what happens. You know, the shark just chomps on him over and over in this lovely PG movie. There's, like, blood coming out of his mouth. It's terrifying. It's the first time... I'll give him this. This It's the first time that I bought the shark attack, you know, because maybe it's because Robert Shaw is a better actor than, like, you know, all the other victims, but he actually screams in pain at being bitten, you know, as opposed to just being dragged around. So I bought it. He tries to get his one last defiant stab with the machete, but it's just, like... Throwing a quarter at a giant sheet Nobody's buying Not even Spielberg's buying it. It doesn't even, you know, Spielberg doesn't even give it like a close-up or anything. It's just like, oh yeah, well you can do whatever you want. So the ship's is sinking fast and Brody's trying to figure out what the fuck to do because Jaws just keeps poking his head in just like the stray pup that you gave some milk to. He's just trying to get in there and just feast. And Brody 
actually has the most intelligent plan of the film. Somehow, like, you know, it's been like almost two hours now, and I guess over the course of two hours, he finally found his balls, because this is not the same Chief Brody that we've been watching through the entire movie. I mean, Just taking shit, getting slapped by women. Yeah, I mean, even like the way he looks, I don't think that that's, you know, I think that's intentional, the fact that he looks kind of like a cross of like Woody Allen and Peter Sellers. I mean, you just don't see him as an action hero. And yet somehow, you know, two hours in... It comes to him, and it, it, he is like the man making the last stand. His shirt's ripped, his glasses are lost. You know? Oh yeah, he, he lost the glasses. It looks like Rambo, just covered in grime and blood, and throws a can of compressed air into Jaws' mouth. Begins firing at it. The idea is obviously to blow up the, the beast. But just in case you didn't get it, like he keeps telling you, <laughs> it's like, blow up, blow up, show me the tank. And then we get like arguably our first great Hollywood one-liner when he says, smile you son of a bitch, and then shoots the air tank. And Jaws blows the fuck up. Yeah. The remainder of the budget, the, the surplus, went into that shot. I thought that, like, maybe it's the same explosion that used in, like, in a couple other movies before. And then that Judas, that no-good betrayer... Hooper just shows back up, surfaces, just smiling, and he's like, hey, I'm alive! And he asks Brody, you know, is Quint still alive? <laughs> no. Alright, well, let's pedal back to shore now. <laughs> Not even Roll like, the credits. Yeah, they didn't take like a minute to acknowledge the fact that this guy, you know, passed away. This guy that was like... Because of him, him, they are void now of this beast. And, yeah. Well, we still are alive. Make some crack about, like, oh, just keep, just keep kicking, and they, they just go away. <laughs> they hop on the barrels that had been attached to Jaws and just swim back to shore. Yeah, and they were supposed to think that this is like a triumphant ending, when yeah. really it's like, no, the bullies won. And when, worst of all, there's no triumphant music. When there had been, at very inopportune points throughout the rest of the film, you know, you'd think you'd get some, like, dun da 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 Well, maybe it's because at the end, when he was editing it, putting it together, at the very end, like, Spiel realized, like, the horror that he'd created, and he was like, wow, you know what this is going to do to the shark community? It's like, people are going to think that they're all like this, and, you know, they're going to build them into a frenzy, and uh, whip them up into a frenzy, and just send them off to uh, hunt more sharks. This is why, you know, big white sharks are, like, in danger of extinction. Because of this fucking movie. Yeah, and the score. It was John Williams' first time at bat, and he was kind of playing t-ball here. He would go on to hit it out of the park. But I think he was trying to figure out, you know, what his career was and which way he wanted to take his style. And then this is why, when you listen to the score, it just reminds you of so many other things that he's done before or that he would go on to do later. You but know, they would uh, just be better. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Chief Brody says the tide's with us, and they continue to swim back, and they are the victors, and we go to the credits. And that was Jaws. I believe it was two hours later, but it felt a lot longer than that. And again, it's just so shameless to promote your movie as a shark movie and then have so very little shark and have it be so offensive to sharks. Like, the hate-mongering in this movie is just disgusting. I guess it sucks to be a shark, but, you know, if you did a movie like this about, like, I don't know, monkeys or, like, cats or, you know, more friendly animals, friendly perceived animals, then people would be, you know, they'd be protesting it. But no, it, it, it's cool to hate on sharks, so mm -hmm. thank you, Steven Spielberg. All right, Julio, you ready for some real talk? Let's do some real talk. T-shirts, T-shirts, T-shirts. Hundreds of thousands of wrestling T-shirts, all for you to buy. Starring all of your favorite wrestlers. Daniel Bryan, Bret Hart goes to Montreal, some dead guy, the Blackjacks, Mulligan and Lanza, not Wyndham and Bradshaw. Wrestling! SmarksLikeUs.com, 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 selling you wrestling T-shirts. Also available, buttons, stickers, and kitty cats. Meow. Okay, so Jaws was released, as you said, on June 20th, 1975. Had a budget of $9 million dollars. And was a box office bonanza, grossing over four hundred seventy million dollars, yep, which uh, by any standard is insane. 
that is that is pretty crazy, uh, especially from like you know such a like young filmmaker at the time. Not everybody was crazy about it though. There's uh, this review by Charles Champlin. It's called "Don't Go Near the Water," and it's same date, uh, you know, opening uh, June twentieth, nineteen seventy-five. He mentions two things. <laughs> One. He says, the first and crucial thing to say about the movie Universal has made from Peter Benchley's bestseller Jaws is that the PG rating is grievously wrong and misleading. So, <laughs> so we're not crazy. Even, <laughs> even by 1975 standards, that was, a little, that was a little too much. He says, the studio has rightly added its own cautionary notices in the ads, and the fact is that Jaws is too gruesome for children and likely to turn the stomach of the impressionable at any age. And then he closes by saying, While I have no doubt that Jaws will make a bloody fortune for Universal and producers Richard Zanuck and David Brown, it is a coarse-grained and exploitative work which depends on excess for its impact. A shore is a bore, awkwardly staged, and lumpily written. He really didn't like it. And it's funny that he doesn't mention Steven Spielberg at all. Yeah. He talks about the producers, but he doesn't mention Spielberg. Well, I mean, I don't know how you feel, Alex, but I think he was... He was wrong. He just didn't get it. Yeah. He was probably just too distracted by how uh, shocked he was by the gore, I guess you could say. But it's actually a really good movie. Yeah, that is one thing I will say. We, I believe you said, too, it's been a long time since I've seen this. Yeah, the violence was a bit more than I had remembered. Yeah, definitely. I, I had no idea it was PG. Uh, I saw it first as a kid. I think my parents like mentioned that they had liked it or something. I saw it on TV, and I remember feeling like... Uh, I mean, I remember being kind of bored because really there's not that much shark and there's a lot of just like adult conversations going on. So mm -hmm. if you're a kid, that that's kind of boring. So I really think that this guy was wrong. I think that he was just, you know, I don't think the kids were shocked. They were just probably not, they probably have a hard time paying attention to the movie because it's, it's really slow at times. But that's good. Like that works. If you're an adult, that's, that's perfect. I think it's exactly like the ride at Universal, which every time I go there, I go on it. It's like... Parts of it haven't aged that well, but it's still just fucking awesome. And the movie's a bit more important than the ride itself. But I was actually pretty happy because I've seen it. I've seen it since then a couple of times, but I have not in a long time. And uh, I was just happy that it still worked. Like every time that there was another scene that worked, mm -hmm. I was it just filled me with joy <laughs> that the movie had. And like you know, the acting is badly. so good in it. Yes, uh, Richard Dreyfus. I mean, whether you're like making jokes about it or not, like it's still he. He's always a standout. He, mm -hmm. His character, the way his character was like written in this, was kind of ahead of its time in terms of like the lovable smartass. Yeah, yeah, I've forgotten how much of a smartass he is and how like I, I don't know how much energy he brings to the movie when he comes in. Like, yeah. uh, you really, it would be such a different experience if he, if you didn't have him. If he was just really focused on Chief Brody, he's. He's just such a downer of a character that, you know, you really need somebody like Hooper. It's, it's funny because when he mentions in the movie at some point that he's going to go away, that he has to go, like, I had this idea in my head that he actually left the movie for a while and then came back at the end. So it was a pleasant surprise to see that he actually stuck around. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he's great. And it's just so fascinating, like, I, the fact that it's Spielberg's first big movie and I think one of the first ones he ever made, period. I'm pretty sure it's the second. Like, when I was looking at the things like somebody mentioned that uh, it was his second movie pretty much the most celebrated american director of all time and it's his talent was pretty clear from an early start i'd say yeah it's funny because i i've read i don't know if it's true here i'm just gonna spread the gossip I guess. go for it but no uh, uh i think it's like an often repeated story i don't know if it's true that that you know he the reason you don't see the shark so much is because they had problems with the with the shark machine with the shark the fake shark the animatronic yeah so 
So he really, he just had to, it, it wasn't his original plan, but that's what he defaulted to when he realized that he really couldn't shot, he couldn't shoot that shard because it wasn't working. So that's awesome that, you know, he, he, he actually came up with, like, what would be a better alternative. I don't think that this movie would be as good if you really saw too much of the shark. Yeah. It just, it would kind of, like, dilute, I guess, those big that's scares what, when you when you finally see it. That's the problem with tons of movies today is just the overkill of it all, and you barely see it at all in this. And, like, some of it's kind of, you know, skin-crawling and shit now. I can imagine, like, a 75 audience. Well, that, that had to be fucking horrifying. Yep. And then, of course, this, along with Star Wars, changed film forever in terms of like the concept of the the high action film and there was another review uh, when i was like looking through the reviews that was just like uh yeah spielberg definitely changed uh, hollywood forever and not for the best <laughs> I, I guess you could say there's a there's a roger corman documentary that i, I really like that talks about jaws and how after jaws and star wars your movie had to be about something like it was no longer people just went to the movies like your movie had to be about something and i don't think that's a bad change well i mean i can see like if you're just one of those people that get angry at just the fact that you know there's like event movies and then mm-hmm. those take over the summer and all that stuff then i guess but you just i mean good movies don't stop you know you can't event movies can play. be a good thing right, right it's just like it's been turned into a bad thing by some people but there's still like non-event movies that get made you mm-hmm. know and they still are appreciated i I was listening to this interview uh, with uh, Edward Norton and Michael Keaton a while ago, and they were like, somebody asked them like, how they feel about the business today, and and Keaton was just like he he played along and he was just like oh well you know it's gotten it's 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 about money it became about money real quick and blah blah, and then they pass it to Norton and he was just like listen I don't know I mean I. You know, I came into the business, like, in the 90s, and, you know, which is when everybody was saying that everything was going to shit, but there's so many good movies from that time, mm-hmm. and there's so many good movies still getting made now. I mean, there's always, if you're an actor, and what you're looking is, you know, you're looking forward to, like, acting and good stuff, there's always good stuff around. And I think that, you know, he, he kind of has a point. There's, you know, if you're complaining about blockbusters, just as in, like, oh, well, they take up all the space and whatever, it's... They're still good to use it. You know what? It's your fault as the audience for going to see them. <laughs> exactly. It's like the Adam Sandler rule. If you're going to go back and help those movies make $100 million, then it's your fault. Like, it's not the movie's fault. Yeah, back you... to Jaws, though. Uh, Roy Scheider's just fantastic in this. And like you had said in the first part, it's pretty much the biggest thing he was. Yeah, have you, do you remember seeing him in anything? I mean, I know he was, uh, somebody pointed out to me, He's in Naked Lunch, which is a David Cronenberg movie mm-hmm. based on a book. And, but, I mean, he has I a small can... part there. I can think of at least two things wrong with that title. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, just, he has a small part there. And I don't know if I would have recognized him if somebody hadn't said, hey, by the way, that's a guy from Jaws. Mm-hmm. But that's really... Jaws 2 also. And Jaws 2. You said you haven't seen any of the sequels. No, right? you haven't seen any of them? I, I've seen the second one on TV. I think I saw it once. Chief Brody's still there. He kills a shark by... Uh, at the very end, like, the shark is coming at him, and he's holding these, like, live wires. Uh, like, I don't know how, why there were, like, live wires, but he's holding onto them, and the shark's coming, and basically the shark bites into the live wires, and it's electrocuted. And uh, I remember I was watching it with my family, and when that's happening, my mom's like, oh, he's sacrificing himself. I was like, really? Is that's gonna, that's what's gonna happen? Like, the shark's gonna bite on the wire, and they're both gonna die? But no, he, he makes it. And actually, I... I mean, I haven't seen the movie since, but I want to say he laughs just the way that he laughs at the end of this movie. <laughs> it's like, ha ha! 
He didn't come back for the third one. I saw the third one in an actual theater, and I didn't see it in 3D, but I think that's the one that's made in 3D. And I think that his kids work at SeaWorld now, and they work with dolphins. And so there's a whole, like, dolphin versus shark thing going on. That sounds uh, terrible. It's it's supposed to be pretty bad. I remember thinking it was, like, amazing when I was a kid. That was the first, you know, Jaws movie I saw. I was just like, oh, it's so cool because it's so gross. But uh, I think Dennis Quaid is in it, too. Well, there you go. <laughs> Tells you everything you need to know. And like I was saying earlier, I'm not too entirely sure of films that, like, big films before this that had, like, big, huge, memorable one-liners. And there's several in this. Like, the birth of the American one-liner could be kind of chalked down to, we're going to need a bigger boat. It's part of the formula, I guess. You know, the blockbuster formula means that you have to have, like, the cool lines, the trailer lines. I don't know what the trailer for Jaws was like, but I wonder if they put in that line. That would have been cool. Not that smile, you sound a bitch, but uh, <laughs> we got to need a bigger boat. 98%, do you agree with its Rotten Tomato score? That's why we're here, after all. I think so. Like we've said like in, in previous reviews, I think that you have to take the context uh, in consideration. And like you just said, 1975, this movie, I mean, yeah, that's why wouldn't you be completely blown away by it and what would you have to criticize but that's the thing you know mm -hmm. okay so there are some people like that that guy that reviewer right that were just put off by the gore and they found the scenes that had nothing to do with the shark boring i didn't think so i mean i thought they were they're certainly not like what you come to you know the movie for but they're all right i mean i thought that yeah. the whole thing with the mayor was was interesting i i guess the one thing that i would say all kidding aside i was really hoping that we would get to see why uh chief brody is afraid of water but it's never explained. And eventually he gets into water, so you would think that... Would he be... conquers his fear. Right, but we are not along for the ride on that. You know, it just happens. And I don't know. And it's a tiny complaint. It's still... yeah. That's why it's not Again, 100%. <laughs> I don't think the audience is in 1975 were worried about that. They were just like, oh my god, another shot. They were just shitting their pants like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy with 98%. That's, you know, in context, mm -hmm. yes. If that movie was released today, it would probably be a little... It would be more like, I don't know, what's the score for open water? <laughs> I don't know. Open water works nowhere near as well as uh, Jaws. <laughs> it's a cute sure. movie. It is, but it's, yeah. I think I told you, I've only seen the ending, so I really don't know. It's, uh, you should check it out. It's a good one watcher. <laughs> one watcher? But yeah. see, I've already seen the ending, so what happens when I get to the ending? I, just, I don't right. know. I know there are boobs in it. There right? are boobs in it. I think There's that was boobs like... in Jaws as well. <laughs> yes. That was PG. Open, open water was radar. Are you happy with 98%? Yeah. It, you can't, like... I feel like you almost can't critique a movie like that. Like, we can by today's standards, but like you said, people critiquing it at the time, outside of, like, the gore, yeah, I don't really know what the fuck there is to critique about it. So, yeah, of course. It, should, it has, like, such a huge legacy. Even as much as we've, like, just talked about how big it is and important it is, we're not even stating its, like, importance to film and everything like that, so... And, you know, Senior Spielbergo was a fucking star after that, so... Good for him. Yeah, I think he did okay afterwards. Somebody, there was, okay, there was another review that was just like a little too crazy about Jaws, and he was like, you know, forget about Schlinder's List, and I don't know whether Spielberg movie they listed, but they're like, Jaws is his real masterpiece. I was like, okay, settle down. <laughs> Jaws is a great movie, but you can't tell me that that's where Spielberg peaked, you know? No. He's not Roy Scheider. <laughs> he went on to do bigger and better things after that. No idea. Roy Scheider was a fucking amateur boxer when I was doing a little bit of research for this. Really? He hit a 14-1 and record. Oh, oh, okay. I have a question, actually. It has nothing to do with Roy Scheider. Damn uh, it. <laughs> at what point, why, who, who came up with this idea that, you know, that the shark's name is Jaws? 
is that because I've seen it like everybody says it and it never even crossed my mind that that's you know I mean Jaws it's talking about it, you know the movie's not called Jaws because Jaws is the name of the shark why right? is it called There Will Be Blood because there will be blood I mean that actually that, you can't compare that it's more as in like okay there's this movie called Chappie coming out soon about a robot named Chappie okay well it's stated in the trailer that the robot's name is Chappie there's never in this movie maybe they're that, just talking about fucking Quinn's collection of Jaws Right, but then why do you call the shark Jaws? That's what I mean. No one calls it Jaws. Everybody calls it. You were you called it Jaws like three times or this podcast. No, I mean in the film, no one calls it Jaws. Right, but that's what I mean. Like I kept waiting because you know it's been so long since I've seen it. It's preconditioning your audience, Julio. I I kept waiting for them. I was like, maybe I missed it when I've seen it before, and I'm like, maybe maybe if they had had one black person in the film say, "Oh shit, it's Jaws," then maybe that that would, would have been amazing. <laughs> I would have loved that. Yeah. That's for the remake with Josh Gad. <laughs> you get and Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is the one to like, oh shit, that's Josh. Josh Gad, and then like I guess Woody Harrelson would play the Quinn character. And so who plays Chief Brody? Kevin Hart. Oh, Kevin Hart. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's and good. Josh Gad is Hooper, and then uh, Margot, what's her name from and Margot Robbie? Yeah, she can play Mrs. Brody. Mrs. Brody, and we've this got time, it. We won't shy away from. From Mrs. Brody's affair with Hooper in this one, we'll we'll actually have like a very explicit sex scene, and we'll have McGee direct it, and we're we're good to go. Plenty of shark in this version, (laughs) lots of shark. All right, so first we have episode ten coming up, Mm -hmm. which will be our gray area episode. Mm -hmm. That means that we'll actually talk about a movie that's neither super high or super low on the Rotten Tomatoes uh, tomatometer. Are we going to make the decision right now <laughs> about what movie that is? I don't know. What are our candidates right now? Natural Born Killers. Natural Born Killers, The Cable Guy, Dick Tracy. I think we... Unless you had something else to suggest. No. All right. So, I own Natural Born Killers. Your roommate owns Dick Tracy. It's true. We I'm, can find a copy of The Cable Guy somewhere. I'm somebody sure. has to own The Cable mm-hmm. Guy. It might be streaming on Netflix. So, really, really, I'm putting it on you, Alex Mattis. Okay. What do you want to watch for episode 10? I guess just stay tuned, and we'll know. Oh, <laughs> I own the cable guy. Okay. <laughs> All right, we, we have a vote for the cable guy. That, that, that leads me to, uh, I, I think that I might as well like do it on air. I told you about it like off air, uh-huh. but I think it's worth bringing it up in the podcast. Uh, we had a, a few people like bring up suggestions for movies, but they seem to kind of miss what our criteria is for choosing the movies. The movies have to be, I mean, the very basic criteria is it has to be a movie that's either, you know, really high on Rotten Tomatoes, like in the 90s, Maybe, you know, high 80s or really low on Rotten Tomatoes. So under 30, it's usually a pretty good area. Yeah. But that's not all. We also, you know, because there are movies already, especially recent movies, there are movies that are just kind of like easy pickings, you know, low-hanging fruit. Uh, somebody was like, well, why don't you do uh, Fifty Shades of Grey? And yeah, we could do an episode where we talk about Fifty Shades of Grey being like an awesome movie. But that's kind of like, that's too easy. I personally, I think that I wouldn't really have much fun doing that. Because... Yeah. Not only the, would I not have fun with it, but I think that there's probably already plenty of people doing that and probably doing it better. So what we want to do is just like the movies that you wouldn't see that often uh, online, which usually turn to be like you know older movies because the internet was not and there yet. Challenges because making Jaws sound bad is pretty hard. Yes, yeah. Much exactly. like making Paul Blart Mall, Mall Cop sound good is. Mortal Cop is really hard. <laughs> Dude, that should be the third Paul Blart movie. Paul Blart, Mortal Cop. <laughs> Just loses his shit. 
So we're on iTunes. Rate, review, subscribe. Check yes, we have, we have some reviews now, and uh, keep them coming. The Contrarians, not the Contrarians podcast. You know, I clicked on the Contrarians podcast just to see like what it was about. You can't even play their episodes. They haven't updated since 2013. Oh, yeah. So really, just why wouldn't you just leave, you know, <laughs> just delete it and let us be the only Contrarians? But anyway, yeah, the Contrarians under Film and TV. Our website is wearethecontrarians.com where you can also listen to the episodes or download them and look at pictures. We have uh, an email address, wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. If you have suggestions or want to say something that you can't tell us uh, on Twitter, uh, I think that's it. That would do it for all our plugs. Uh, yeah, so our episode 10 will be our first gray episode. Until then, that's going to do it for here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to The Contrarians. On your way out, be sure to swing over to youtube.com backslash ovniofilms. That's O-V-N-I-O films. And check out The New Adventures of Baby Jesus, a web series created and written by The Contrarians' very own Julio Oliveira. Cooper and Mrs. Brody have an affair in the book. Yes! <laughs> I knew it!